I'm reading in Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So, every word that you hear is received, is it not? Or should be received. And as you receive the Word of God, what does God say to do with it? It says to walk in it. Walk in it. What does it mean to walk in it? Does it mean that we don't think about it? Does it mean we just we hear with our with our physical mind and then we just go about our business? Or do we keep it in the forefront of our thoughts, meditating day and night as God instructed Joshua to do with the law? You know, if you went and read in the book of Joshua, God told Joshua, Now Joshua, I want you to take the law. I want you to meditate it, meditate in it day and night, but I don't want it to depart out of your mouth. Meditate day and night, but don't let it depart out of your mouth. Do you know that if we meditate in the Word of God day and night, if we walk in it, as God has said, what will our fruit be? Will not our fruit be what God said? I guarantee you it will. So, and I've told you this in the recent weeks, you know, one of the worst things we can do is try to convert someone to Christianity by quoting Scripture to them. They don't get it. They do not understand Scripture. They don't even understand the context of it when you say it to them. What they need is for you to testify of Jesus Christ with the evidence of you being in the place where salvation was made known to you. That's what they're waiting for. That's what they're longing for. And so your life, the way you live your life, speaks loudly to the unbeliever. It becomes the, their desire. What your fruit is, it's the fruit that they want. Isn't that a greater witness than you quoting to them Scripture? I believe it is. I remember years and years ago, I desired to receive the Holy Ghost. Knew nothing about the Holy Ghost. I was raised in an environment where the Holy Ghost was not even a, a part of the conversation, except when it, they came to discuss the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? These three make up God. These three are one. So when, it, when in that aspect then, okay. So then I, I began to hear of other things when it came to the Holy Ghost. And I wanted the Holy Ghost. I knew I needed the Holy Ghost to be saved. So I met a person and they began to quote Scripture to me. And it was like, okay, Greek or Hebrew? Latin or Portuguese? <laughs> In other words, we can quote Scripture all day. But if the framework of the Word of God has not brought forth a testimony in Jesus Christ, what are we saying? The reality of the mind of God is not alive in us. The proof of God is not in us. We have knowledge of God, but we don't know God. And so when we try to witness of God, we witness from the premise of what we think God is, not who we know God is from heaven. 
I can tell you of the God that I created in my own mind years and years ago. And that God reigned in my mind for a long, long, long time. In fact, too long. Even in the creation of that God, I knew the Scripture quite well. I studied the Scripture day and night. Taught it from the basis of the everlasting covenant. From Genesis to Revelation for years. Not knowing who God is. Thinking that I knew God from the basis of the Scripture and not from the basis of life. Where that life became my life. Knowledge can be very unfruitful. How many of us can testify of that? Very unfruitful and very destructive. So even a Pharisee can testify of God, can he? But can he testify of Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Because when Jesus came, what did the Pharisee do? Ignored him, in fact, put him to, literally killed him, right? Put him to death. That's the pharisaical thought. That's your thought in knowledge. Christ comes on the scene. Christ doesn't look and appear like we thought he should look and appear. And so we ignore it. We don't accept it as being the truth. But if we walk in what we hear, Will our mind be transformed and will it become the promise that God has given us in prophecy that we shall be a son? I tell you it will. For sure. And it can even be done in the twinkling of an eye, John. So that we can receive it, hear it, and become it in an instant. If we allow the mind to be clear to receive it as Christ. That's how fast it can generate, regenerate itself in your mind. Because you become a new creature through it, correct? Let me go on. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit or vain deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we can become very rep- repetitious and doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Which is a great definition of what? Insanity. And I will lay to say, I'll lay this just as a conversation piece, is that most of us, when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to God, are insane. Because we will say the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. We've become very repetitious in our prayers in our spiritual habits, or what we call spiritual habits, and how we retain thought when it comes to the Scripture. And so what we pray for, what we hope for, becomes very fleshy, thus it's an earmark to where the mind is. It's The mind becomes divided, and the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, according to James. So we don't want to be double-minded. We want to be single-minded when it comes to the life of Christ in us. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So when Christ comes, who all of a sudden becomes manifest? God does. Does he have a body? So when I hear the word of God through Jesus Christ, 
I then know that God has a body. What kind of body does God have? What? How do you know, Frankie? You say a spiritual body. How do you know? Okay, the scripture says so. How would you describe it, though? Okay, it's unseen in you, right? Okay, so if it's unseen, do you understand it? No. Do you need to understand it? Yes. So, if I stay in the thought of Christ, is he going to bring the understanding of that body? Because he describes his body in the Scripture, doesn't he? If I read 1 Corinthians, and I read in chapter 12, 13, and 14, doesn't he describe the body of Christ? And how it functions, and how every part is needed? I think so. Very much so. How about in the book of Ephesians, does he describe his body? I think so. Very much so. How many of us know then how the body of Christ is formed and shaped and moves and has its being and begins to live and thrive in us? Wow. We, all, we have that look of amazement, you know, like deer in a headlights syndrome, right? Like, we, well, I never thought about that before. But that's the Word of God, isn't it? That's, isn't that what God is saying to us to quicken us unto life? Because the life is in the body? It's amazing to me how even the blood, where's the blood at? How did Jesus, what did Jesus do with his blood? Did he shed it for us? And in shedding that blood, what does it do for us? It cleanses us, removes sin from us. So the blood in that body is what? Is it, is it regenerating life in us to become the Son of God? Yes, that's what it's doing. And so when I begin to testify then of Jesus Christ, and if I'm going to use the Scripture to do so, to say that I'm going to quote you a Scripture, and the Scripture is, Christ in you, the hope of glory, which we use often. I have Christ in me. How do I know I have Christ in me? Because the Scriptures told me. But what did God tell you? Did He tell you something different? No. No. God confirmed it with a witness. That's what God's about. If it's in the Scripture, He's going to confirm it to you with a witness. How many of us know we need the witness to back up the Scripture that we know? Because without the witness, we have nothing. Well, I have the witness. It's in the Bible. Wrong witness. Your witness is within you. It's when you begin to see and understand how God wrote it in you by your angel. So when Abraham, when Abram received a word from God, who did Abram testify of? Who did he see? He called him Lord, right? But who was it? We know it was Jesus, but in the form of what for Abraham? 
an angel. And so every time the angel of the Lord came, Abraham called him Lord. Abraham knew who was coming with the word of God for him to walk in it so he could become the fulfillment of the promise that God gave him in prophecy. Did God prophesy to Abraham? To Abram? What did he prophesy to him? That he would make him a father of many nations and that he would have what? That he would have a son. Who was the son in Abram? Oh, it was Isaac, but it was greater than Isaac. It was Jesus. That's the part that we miss. So when God prophesies the word of God into you and makes you a promise, is he not promising that you are going to have Christ in you? That's the promise, that you are going to have Christ in you. He becomes your witness. He becomes your glory. Because it's actually whose glory? It's God's. It's God's glory. So when we use that scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory, whose hope is it? It's God's hope. Whose glory is it? God's glory. So the hope is in God, you will be glorified as His Son when you receive the Word of God. That's awesome. Let me go on. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now listen. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So, this circumcision then becomes important, doesn't it not? What happens in circumcision? It's cut away. The body of flesh is cut away. So how does that happen? Okay. So how does that happen? Okay. So the word has a cutting purpose to it, correct? So the word that I hear has a purpose in God to cut away the flesh. So every word that I hear, does it have an element of circumcision in it to cut away the body of flesh so that I can hear that same word in the mind of Christ? Every word. So we used to preach it in water baptism. Right? We get in the baptism, we get in water baptism and in baptism, and it teaches us this way in the in the uh, book of Colossians as well. But in water baptism, we have this uh, expectation or this hope that in water baptism there's going to be this covenant of circumcision at work. So when I come up out of the water. I have this expectation that the mind of the flesh has been taken away. Correct? What happens then? How come when I came up out of the water of baptism, how come I still had this mind of flesh? Was my hope wrong? Was my expectation wrong? Or was there a greater work 
that God wanted to me to receive in it that I didn't yet understand. Which is it? Yeah, there's a greater work that I have yet to understand. Does that mean that water baptism was in the flesh was not needful? Does it mean that I didn't need that it was just it's just in the scripture and I don't need to do it physically? What does it mean? Anyone can address that question for me. Okay, it shows intent, doesn't it? Can you can the intent be right in you without getting getting in physical water? Yes, it can. So, but if you need it, I'll be the first one to baptize you in water physically, if you think you need it. But I will say this. I mean, I got baptized twice or three times. Twice. Once at First Christian Church and once at Christ New Covenant Church. Yeah. Not thinking that the first time was of any effect. That was probably right. <laughs> I was nine years old. I just did it because it was the thing to do at nine years of age. Got baptized again at 25, 24, something like that. Expecting that when I went into the water, I would be raised up a new creature and I would receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. And things would be in Christ absolutely perfect from that day on. Which I'm going to tell you this, that is the right expectation. That's the right expectation. And from that day on, God began to work in a way that I never knew God to work before. But it took, it has taken years for the expectation that I had in my own heart to align with the expectation that God had in His. It's taken years. Is God upset with that? Or is God good with it? God's good with it. God's good with it. Because what are you walking in? You're walking in faith by the Word of God. It's just that when you begin to walk, you don't understand anything. You're like a child. But then as you continue to walk in it, all of a sudden your mind begins to be changed by that same Word, right? Now all of a sudden it begins to bear fruit. Now all of a sudden if I have fruit meat for repentance, I now know how to repent. I know what to repent from. That's awesome. When I... When I got baptized, I didn't know what to repent from. But it didn't keep me from having an expectation that as I walked in the Word of God, I would be changed. And we should all be able to testify of the change that has taken place in the heart since we knew God. Can you say amen to that? Because we are not the same. Our acts or our works might be the same because there are yet things to understand. But I will tell you this, you stay in pursuit, you diligently seek the Lord your God, and you keep His thoughts on the forefront of your heart, of your mind. Do you think God's going to continue to change you and continue to bring forth fruit meat for repentance? So that when you walk in it, they become the manifestation or they become the testimony of Jesus Christ in you, which is His hope for you. And that His glory is now being made known and revealed in you by the Word of God. I believe that. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith 
So now here's faith still working. How did I get to the how did I get to the point of knowing I needed to be baptized? What wor- what was working in me? Faith. What was working in me to know I needed to repent? Faith. Faith opened the door to God's grace where now everything begins to work according to the heart of God. According to the mind of Christ. Because when Christ came, He was full of what? Grace and truth. He came to fulfill the Word of God. He came to bring it all to a conclusion in the prophecy that you have been given in becoming a son. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. It's awesome, isn't it? Having been been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Now, this is what I want to talk about this morning. If I have been living in the Word of God, and I have been buried with Him, amen? Then am I also going to be raised with Him? Now, in the resurrection... And this is why it becomes the evidence of our life. This is why it becomes the evidence of our mind. In the power of the resurrection. Whose resurrection is it? Yours or Christ's? It's Christ's resurrection. When Christ was raised, what happened? Do the scriptures tell us what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead? That's one thing. Graves were opened, right? And the testimony of those who believed in Him before were made manifest. What else happened? Did He take sin captive? Did He take captivity captive? He took captivity captive. So, in the power of the resurrection, when Christ raises from the dead, is risen from the dead, Where's your sin? Is it on you or is it on Christ? Oh. So in the power of the resurrection, am I going to be beset by sin any longer? Am I now going to know that in the power of the resurrection through faith that my sin has been forgiven, forgotten forever, that I can now sit with Christ at the right hand of the Father. See, and we don't understand the authority that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us as we begin to participate in the Word of God. We minimize it. Because we keep looking at it from the aspect of what? Flesh. Thinking that Something is taking place in this body that is not. It's greater. When we get to the place, this is why the Word of God needs to be followed. This is why it needs to be heard. This is why we need to attach ourselves to it. Stay in the meditation of it. Because it begins to show us the body that is of Christ and not the body which we 
think so highly of, which is of the flesh. It brings a separation of the two. What is it that we know that keeps us from entering into a powerful life in Christ Jesus? What is it that we know? Flesh. It's flesh. We love the flesh. Like Gary preaches, we like it, we love it, we want more of it. And the more fleshly I can become, the more fun I'm going to have. So we think. That's not true. But we think it's true. And so we spend a lot of time working on the flesh, don't we, John? And yet, listen to this again. Because in Christ, so if I'm in Christ, I have the hope of the prophecy, of the hope of the promise, correct? I have this word in me. I mean, why else did we show up here this morning? Because <laughs> we have this hope that's, that's it's Christ's hope in us. It's Christ's hope for us. Just like it's His faith in us and His faith for us. And isn't it the aspect, the greatest aspect of His love for you also? Because you are His creature, His creation? I believe so. So listen to this again. Having been buried with Him in baptism. So am I baptizing you in the Word of God this morning? I am. I am baptizing you in the Word of God. And it has power. In which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven all your trespasses. So now, are you in bondage to the flesh or has everything been forgiven so you can put on the mind of Christ? Which is it? Everything. So that when the Word of God comes to you and it begins to show you the life of Christ and the power of His resurrection, is the flesh your hindrance or not? Which is it? No more. And if you think it is, you still have a mind of the unbeliever. You're not believing the word of God. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. So in the book of Romans, it talks about imputing, right? It uses in Romans 4, in talking about Abraham, it talks about this word imputing. What, is, what does it mean to impute? Set aside or transfer, right? So all your sin, your debt of sin that you carry, that dead man that you carry on your back, that dead body, that dead thought that you carry, what did Christ do with it when he rose from the dead? Yeah, he took the account, the complete account of it upon himself 
and freed you from every aspect, every thought that would beset you from living in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. He did it. Now what's our part in it? To believe it. That's our part. Our part is to be, is to believe it. It's hard for us to imagine that God made it so simple, but he did. That's why Jesus, he, in the, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he said, forbid not the child to come, right? Because unless you receive it as a child, you will never understand it. Paul had to come to a place where he was abased, Saul. Saul had to come to a place where he allowed God to abase him in his thought as a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And being abased of God, what did he learn? He knew nothing. He knew nothing. And then for 14 years, what did he allow God to do? Teach him. He allowed God to work in the power of the resurrection and to show him who he was in faith by the word of God. That he was apostolic. That he was in the mind of Christ. And that he reigned with him forever and ever in those things. Powerful stuff. Do you know what it is the same? Because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? Isn't he the God who was and is and is to come? That's why the prophecy is so important. That's why prophecy is eternal. That's why their prophecy repeats itself. In every generation, in every mind, every man that receives the Word of God, the prophecy becomes the same because God is the same. It's amazing what God did for us when He took His Son and nailed Him to the cross. Was that purposed? Was it done before? That's how he sanctified the heavens. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus Christ is the sanctifier of all things, heaven and earth. And he's the sanctifier of your life. You want to reign with God? You want to reign in Christ Jesus in heavenly places? Knowing the truth and being able to testify of the truth? and having no appearance of evil in your life, in your mind, then believe God. Believe the Word of God. The prophecy that He has set forth in you by His Son, Jesus Christ, it is true. He spoke it. God God is not a liar. God cannot lie, for he's not a man. All men are liars because they deny God at one point or another. But God is not a man that he should lie. And he appointed Jesus Christ to become man. Perfect man. Put him on the cross to take upon himself the sins of the world. 
and to raise him from the dead, that you might also be raised in the likeness of Jesus Christ and have no account of sin before the Father. That's powerful. And when we allow, when we believe it and allow it to become the meditation of our heart, we will not forget. And one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to forget. Because that's death. In death we forget. In life we remember evermore. Amen? I hope this has helped you somewhat today. I hope it's encouraged you more than anything else. Because we allow ourselves to be... In fact, we'll talk ourselves into depression, won't we? And there's no reason for us to talk ourselves into depression if we know life, if we know Jesus Christ, and we stand on the testimony of who He is as a believer. And we reign with Him forever and ever. God bless you guys today. That's all I have.